Good morning, everybody. Um, good morning. I uh, had a feeling uh, with Daylight Savings, Service 2 is going to be a bit more packed than the first. And it is. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm definitely feeling that hour lost. But I happen to love sunlight, so I'm happy about this next season that we're in. I love longer days. Uh, my name is Alvin. For those of you who don't know, I serve as lead pastor here at the church. Welcome to all of you all who've never been here before. Hope you're having a good time. Um, I've enjoyed the worship so far, and I would love for us to just do another round of that, How Great Is Our God. I think it's important for us to sing that as often as we can. Glory to God, um, especially before we receive from his word. So um, let's do a round of that. How great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God, and all will sing how great, how great is our God. Let's sing that one more time. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. All will see how great, how great is our God. God, you are great, and we praise you this morning, and we pray that you are blessed by our praise, God. We pray that the worship and the praise that we offer you this morning would be pleasing to you. That would be a sweet sound to your ear, God. And as we bless you, Lord, we pray that you would bless us as we gather around your word this morning. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, repeat these words after me if you can. Say, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Awesome. Um, well, we are a few weeks away from a big Sunday here at Nashville Life, Easter at Nashville Life. Um, we are celebrating over the course of three days. You heard it already, but we're doing a special Good Friday service right here. 6 p.m. We would love for y'all to come. It'll be a, about an hour of just reflecting on the cross, on the blood that Jesus shed, um, on the death um, that he did for us, that he went through for our benefit. And it's just a wonderful time of worship. And I would love for as many of you all to be here as possible and tell your friends. And then uh, Saturday, we're doing a kids event right across the street over at Coleman Park. 10 a.m. to noon. It's free for, for families and kids. We'll have an Easter egg hunt. We'll have bounce houses. We'll have a lot of fun stuff for everyone to do. So if you've got kids, if you've got nieces or nephews or you're friends with people with kids, uh, spread the word. We would love for it to be a great community event. Uh, to bless people who are in this church, but people who are just in the Nashville area and would like a safe place for their, their family to celebrate and enjoy the day. And then, of course, Sunday we'll launch our three services, uh, 8.30, 10 a.m., and 11.45. 
Um, I think we should pack all three services out. I know that the Lord wants a lot of people to hear the good news of the gospel. And I believe it's the responsibility of all of us in this room to invite people to come with you so they can hear the good news of Jesus. I believe that God wants the kingdom of God to grow a lot on Easter Sunday. And I believe he's looking to us to help him do that. So let's let's get our friends and family here, our neighbors here. People tend to be a lot more open to try out church on Easter. Um, and, and I say let's make the most of that. That's a good thing. I love that they're willing to come. And I know that God's going to meet them with a great, great word of good news and hope. So uh, I'm excited for that. Mark your calendars. Please celebrate with us that weekend. Um, that's also the time that um, the, the great Jewish holiday, Passover, is, is celebrated. And it's, it's a wonderful story in the history and the fabric of the Jewish faith, but also in the Christian faith as well. Um, the Passover, if you're not familiar with it, it's written about in Exodus chapter 12, and then it's preached on in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10. It's a wonderful miracle uh, about how God, in response to uh, Pharaoh's refusal to free the Hebrew slaves, um, he hit Egypt with a lot of plagues, and the worst plague was the last one. He released a death angel to go all through Egypt, and it would kill, this angel killed the firstborn of every household. And the only way to be saved from this, this death, this curse, was to take uh, the blood of this provided lamb that was sacrificed for the cause and to take the blood and to wipe it on the doorpost of your home. And what happened was this death angel would pass over every house that had the blood of this lamb smeared on the doorpost. And if there wasn't, if there wasn't blood on your doorpost, uh, the firstborn of that household would, would die. And there was a lot of death that day, but there was also a lot of salvation that, that night as well. And, and the reason why it's something that is relevant to us as Christians, because this was a huge foreshadowing to another salvation that was to come soon after. Um, much like this story, because of sin, death was released over humanity. Humanity was sentenced to eternal death because of sin. And there was one option of salvation, and that's the blood of the sacrificial lamb, Jesus. He's the figurative lamb. And when he shed his blood, um, anyone who took the blood that Jesus shed and put themselves under that sacrifice, and any person who was marked by the shed blood of Jesus, this death would pass over every person who has the blood of Jesus, the blood of the lamb on their life. So, so I'm believing that because of the blood of Jesus, more people are going to be saved. I believe that death is going to pass over more people because of the good news being preached, because it's simple. If the blood is on you, then you will be passed over, right? And um, there's, 
There's so much revelation I love teaching about over the years of Nashville Life. That's one of my favorite topics to teach on because there's so much revelation, way more revelation to cover uh, this morning, especially since that's not even what my message is about today. Uh, However, uh, the Passover uh, story is connected to what I'm teaching. I'm going to cover a passage that Jesus said while celebrating Passover. So they were at Passover dinner, he and his disciples, and he says something that I would like to speak on that I think is very uh, relevant to the culture of, of Nashville Life and the vision of our church. We've been speaking a lot on the vision of our church, and uh, what I'm going to share today is very true to the heart and the vision of who we are as a church. Um, and that's in Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22. And I'm going to read verse 24 through 27 from the New King James Version. It says, now there was also a dispute among them, talking about the disciples, as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not the one Sorry, is it not he who sits at the table? Jesus says, yet I am among you as the one who serves. The title of my message today is The Counterculture of Christ. The Counterculture of Christ. Um, In order to teach about the counterculture of Christ, I'm going to talk briefly on the common culture Um, that we have all been raised in as human beings. Um, There are two things that common culture uh, promotes that I want to talk about briefly. One um, is there is a, uh, a lust for status and um, for ego, and there's an upward mobility drive that, that is very prominent within the human race. Uh, John refers to it as the pride of life. Uh, and the pride of life is that, that lust to be included, um, to feel um, like you are on the inside circle or in the room where it happens or you're kind of in this exclusive uh, space that for whatever reason other people aren't a part of. And there's this part of us that really gets a kick out of kind of being invited to a place that maybe other people aren't invited to, like the, you know, the VIP room or, or the popular table at school. You know, there's just this thing in us that, and it makes you, that's why they call it the pride of life. It makes you feel better about yourself when you are included in certain spaces that other people um, don't have the privilege of getting in. 
um, whether that's first class and on the plane or you name it. There's just, a, you know, box seats up there. Like, it just makes you, even though you're watching the same game, it just makes you feel good that you're in there and other people aren't. Um, which is the second thing I want to bring up that, that is promoted in common culture, and that is competition. Competition is very prevalent within common culture. It's something that most of us have to really watch out for because competition really uh, makes it to where being great is not enough. You need to be greater than the person sitting next to you. You know, when you're competitive, being smart is not enough. I'm not happy until I am smarter or proven smarter than that person. When you're competitive, being pretty is not enough. You need to look better than every other girl in the room. You know what I'm saying? When you're strong, uh, strong is not enough. You need to be stronger and prove to be stronger than the next person. So there's this competitive uh, temptation that's very common in our culture, and the, the world promotes it every day, and it eats at us, some of us more than others. Some of us have maybe grown out of it. Some of us are still really wrestling with it. And the disciples are showing that they have been influenced by common culture. They are literally arguing at Passover dinner at who would be considered not great, but the greatest. Who will have that, that number one spot next to Jesus in the kingdom of God. And Jesus does what he does so well. And he confronts them with the counterculture of his way. In verse 25, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. So Jesus is smart. He knew who he was talking to. He knew the culture that these disciples had been steeped in over the years. And he, he brings up the perfect example when talking about greatness. And he brings up the kings of the Gentiles. And in that time, that, the epitome of that was Caesar. Caesar was the picture of that man has made it. He has authority. He has power. He has wealth. He has, you know, he gets the corner piece of the cake. He gets the biggest piece of chicken. He's got the house. Like, that was the image of success. And you can tell that that image of success was very much laced into the disciples' quest to be great. And, and the way that Jesus describes this brand of greatness, this is a brand of greatness that when you are the leader, you are the most privileged. You are the benefactor more so than the people that you're leading. This is the brand of greatness that common culture was elevating, and Jesus was spelling this out. The way the Gentiles do it, when you are the leader, when you are up top, you are the benefactor. You are the one who is benefiting the most in the relationship between you and those who you are leading and those who you are over. But then he says, 
it shall not be so with you. And with you, you means his disciples, his followers. He says, it will not be the case with you. And then he says, on the contrary, which means not only will this not be the case for you, but it's actually going to be the opposite. Contrary is where he introduces the counterculture. The counterculture is the contrary. He goes on the contrary, and then he starts to explain what we'll call the counterculture of Christ. And that is that the greatest will actually be the least. The greatest will be the one who is giving the honor more so than receiving the honor. The greatest will be the one who is serving the table rather than the one eating at the table. He goes, in my counterculture, the greatest is actually the waiter, uh, not the one who's dining. The one who is serving the table is the greatest, and that, obviously, if you're thinking Caesar is great, this was very counter-cultural and uh, very contrary to the way the disciples were thinking. Um, I want to make it clear, and before we go any further, Jesus doesn't discourage the desire to be great, but he purifies it. He doesn't discourage your desire to be great, but he purifies your desire to be great. There's a difference. He doesn't discourage your desire for greatness, but he will purify your desire for greatness. Jesus wanted to make sure that the disciples knew what they were contending for. He wanted them to understand that the seat that they were so thirsty for was a seat that would be lowly, often underappreciated, and the, the, the servant's seat. He wanted to make sure that their expectations were accurate, and that is one of the Great. Jesus has obviously so many things you can admire, but one that I want to point out is he was always good at setting expectations from jump, from, from the beginning. Because before y'all take any steps towards this direction, I want you guys to know exactly what you're getting into. And I love that he did that because God forbid someone follows Jesus with dreams of Caesar in their minds, right? And he was like, just in case you are expecting a life like Caesar, Y'all need to understand that my way is countercultural to the way that you perceive greatness from the way that you've been brought up in this world. Um, he did this so they wouldn't be surprised when they found themselves being emptied of themselves instead of being full of themselves. Uh, he goes, this will not be a a self-filling situation. This will be a self-emptying life, and it's important that y'all know that now. <laughs> Luke 22, verse 28 through 30. Verse 28 through 30, he goes on to say, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials. New word, trials. Verse 29, and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed a, uh, one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 
So Jesus says that his people are those who have continued with him in his trials. Trials in Webster is defined as a test of faith, patience, or stamina through subjection to suffering or temptation. So trials are when suffering or temptations are in your life not to destroy you, but to test the quality and the genuineness of your faith, of your patience, and of your stamina. Um, we can tend to say things and not mean it um, as people. And it's one thing to say you have faith, but the Lord has to allow us to go through suffering so that our faith can be tested. And that's the only way, unfortunately, to see if the faith was just a word or if it really was alive in us. Um, I wish there was another way <laughs> to test the quality of our faith and suffering, but that's just the way he's designed it. I wish that waiting wasn't the only way to prove if your patience is real, but it is the only way. The only way you can, you can say you're patient all day long until all day long happens. <laughs> and until that clock starts ticking or that calendar date starts moving, and then that shows if you're really patient or if you were just saying what you thought you were supposed to say. Uh, there's the only way to know if you have actual stamina is to get tired. We can all say we have stamina now, but let's do five laps around this church, and that'll show who has stamina, right? Once you start getting winded, that's when you have to see, okay, is there actually another engine in here that that rises up when I get tired, and that's, that's, that shows if you have stamina. You don't know if you have faith until you're faced with a challenge, and you have to choose to go by what you see or what you believe. So, so the Bible, Jesus is telling us there's trials that come in this life, and what he was seeing was there were a lot of people who were starting with him, and they weren't continuing with him. Starting is not the same as continuing. I'm not sure if that needs to be said, but in case it does, starting is not the same as continuing. There's a, a much longer list. You know, I mean, like infinitely longer, exponentially longer list of people who start with Jesus than the list of people who continue with Jesus. And usually the, the, the break off and the cutoff points are the trials. Um, Jesus had, uh, he didn't have much trouble getting followers that night he turned water into wine. Um, his following count went way up that night. Uh, when he healed the blind man, he got a lot of followers that night. Uh, when he, when he cleansed the leper, there were a lot of followers that were added that day. I know he got some followers when he multiplied the fish and five loves. We love to eat, right? These are benefits. People, we're naturally benefit-driven. That's just who we are. We are attracted to beneficial things. And it is very beneficial to be friends with someone who can cancel disease. 
It's, it's, it's very beneficial to be friends with someone who can take free water and turn it into expensive taste wine, right? Like, those are beneficial things. Like, who wouldn't want to have that person in their contacts? You know what I'm saying? So, so it was very beneficial. But then the trials that came with Jesus came. And Jesus found that while people were super into following him when they got some free drinks, um, when it came to the suffering, uh, the following list diminished. And he was encouraging his disciples. He says, you all have continued with me in my trials. They didn't just start. But they continued. Um, it is important to embrace the counterculture of Christ. And if you want to understand what I mean in context to what we're teaching about, I'll tell you right now, common culture says to avoid trials by whatever means necessary. Um, common cultures avoid the weight. You know, even I'm thinking about, you know, I'm in the movies and there's one line for popcorn and then there's another line that looks like it's going faster. And I, there's always that question, do I stay in the line or do I move? And then you move and that one starts getting faster. And I'm that guy that's just like line to line because it's common culture to avoid the weight. It is common culture to avoid the pain. It's common culture to go away from the path of resistance. I mean, especially in America, oh my gosh, convenience, convenience, convenience. That's our culture. We've been steeped in that. And then we could with Jesus, and he tells us to embrace suffering. It's, it just doesn't come naturally for us. Culture has not done us any favors in this regard. And then we come to Jesus, and we're called to embrace something that every bone in our body tells us to avoid like the plague. So if you follow Jesus... It's important to understand that you are choosing a countercultural path that really will conflict with common culture that you've been raised in. And these are a few things I just think helpful to remember if, you, if you're following Jesus. Uh, greatness won't feel beneficial some of the time. It will not feel beneficial some of the time. Greatness will feel like suffering sometimes. Greatness will feel like temptation sometimes. Greatness will feel like being overlooked sometimes. Greatness will feel like being passed by sometimes. And oftentimes you're passed by by someone who's younger than you, someone who you perceive to be less deserving than you, someone with a weaker resume than you someone who you don't think has paid the same dues that you've paid. I mean, and when these things come, the Lord is saying, don't resist it. Embrace it. Embrace it. Greatness will feel like the opposite of what culture told you greatness was. 
And in those moments, Jesus said his disciples, when they experienced those times, they stayed with him. So Jesus says, because you continued with me in my trials, I'm going to bestow on you the entire kingdom of God. I'm going to enlarge my table. You're going to sit with me. You're going to reign and rule with me. He promoted them to a great position of greatness. Now, the vision of our church is following Jesus, building leaders. And uh, we didn't just make that up. I truly believe that Scripture shows that every person who is born again is called to a level of influence, to a level of leadership. He says that we, the church, we are the light of the world. He calls us the salt of the earth. First Peter, First Peter, amazing Scripture, chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you, talking to the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we've got a great call. Please, guys, please understand, this is not an anti-ambition message. This is not an anti-hunger for greatness Message. God is calling all of us to high places. He's calling us to great places, but it will be contrary to the culture that has raised us. I'm telling you, I can't stress to you how great God's call is for your life. I can't, he calls you royalty. He calls you a priesthood. He's got high hopes and high places for you, but if we let what our common culture taught us about greatness, if we let it interfere and if we still carry these cues of what greatness looks like, if we carry this into our walk with Jesus, it will confuse the process and you will misdiscern things. Things that you will look at as failure will actually be the promotion that God has for you. Things that you look at as the opportunity from God might be the pit that takes you down to a place you don't want to be. And, and we have to understand that we have, to, that's what the Bible says, we have to let our, our discernment be trained and built. We have to learn how to discern the will of God. We aren't born again discerning the will of God. The Bible says it's not unless we continue to practice and, and build and our faith in the word of God that, that we begin to discern. That's what, that's what the word says, present yourself as living sacrifices. And it says when you do this, then you'll be able to discern the will of God. The counterculture is that royalty and the greatness that God is calling us to. This is what, this is the kind of picture, I wish I drew this, but I didn't. Uh, this is where we are, right? And this is the greatness that God is calling us to. What I feel led to share with you guys today is on the road from here to where God is calling you, there is a deep valley. And that deep valley is a valley that only servants and selfless people are willing to go down. This valley, the Lord has built this valley as a filter to only take the servants and the selfless. 
this valley, if you, if you aren't truly saying yes to the identity of a servant, you won't go down this valley. Like, it's built to filter the ones who aren't servants out. And, and it's, it's, an, it's a place that only the servants are willing to go. And it's down in this space, and this is something else about this space, and I, I'm telling you what I know. I'm telling you what I see in Scripture. In this space, in this valley, in between where you are and where God is calling you to be, in this valley, in this space, is what the world will regard as failure. The world will call this space a forgotten space. The world will call this space irrelevant. The world will call this place insignificant. And the Lord will actually allow you to feel the judgment from the world in this space. Um, this space will look like the opposite of success, um, according to the common culture. It will look like uh, failure. And the good news of the gospel is that in this valley, in this testing time, what the world regards to as forgotten, nothing, irrelevant, insignificant, is actually the threshold to the ultimate of what God has called you to do. Um, this space is tough. Um, this is the space where you're talking to people and they're like, you're up to what? You're doing what now? Oh, okay. Cool. You, but you got your master's and so-and-so and you're, oh, okay. Cool. And you'll, you'll feel the judgment. You'll feel that, that you haven't achieved what everybody else is saying. So it will actually challenge that pride of life. It'll kill that competitive uh, lust. You will have to actually feel like you lost. You will actually have to feel like you've been passed over and that someone else, like, and he'll make you feel it. You got to feel it. Even though it's not true, he will, you will have to feel it. And you'll have to actually experience being the waiter at their table, the person who's, like, that you were used to compete with. Like, he'll actually put you in positions where you'll be waiting the table of the person that you used to want to compete with. Like, he'll do it, and he's not mean. But he has to produce the identity of a servant in you in order for him to trust you with the greatness that he's called you to. If it hasn't happened yet, for some of y'all it's happened already. For some of you it hasn't happened. Some of you guys are in it right now. And I just want to encourage all of you. Um, next week we get to hear from our awesome founding pastor, Pastor Love. My dad is teaching next week. And I'm not sure all that he's sharing. I'm sure he might give a little bit of a story, but um, uh, some of you guys have heard the story before that back in, I think, 95, when the first time they received the prophetic word that they were going to pastor a church, 
um, it wasn't uh, met with the most excitement from my parents. Um, and I think I'm putting it lightly because uh, what really happened was right in the middle of the church service when the prophet said, you guys are going to be a pastor, um, before my mom could stop herself, she had yelled, no! <laughs> and it was too late. By the time she tried to stop it, it was already out. She literally yelled in church, no, to the prophetic word of God. And it's not because they are ungodly people. It's not because they are devilish people. I actually think it's the opposite. When you understand godly greatness, you know that you are on your, road, on your way to a road of some suffering, a lowly road full of sacrifice and selfless living. And I think when you understand what greatness is in the kingdom of God, there is a sobriety to it. Um, to the point where when some of y'all are like, oh, I can't wait. I'm like, I don't know. I think they might be thinking about Caesar. I think they might be thinking... <laughs> They might have a, a sweet situation, um, and it is a sweet situation, but there is a valley that only servants go, and that is the only way. And y'all, human beings, Christians, we have been searching for detours for years. There's, we're pulling up GPS. There's got to be another way. Okay, if we go through if we go far left and go through Jersey and jump over that river, we'll go, okay, we'll go through here. Like, we think of all these routes, and it doesn't exist. And the thing about God is he'll, he'll wait. He'll watch you try. He will watch you try silently. And because we're determined, there's got to be a way to be great without being a servant. There's got to be a way to fulfill my hopes and dreams without losing my life. There's got to be a way to be like Jesus and not die to my life. And I'm going to find it. No one else could find it, but I'm anointed. I'm anointed. I've got a call on my life to find the detour to greatness. And once we realize that that does not exist, then we go ahead and take the valley and we take on the identity of a servant. And when we do, and it's usually right in the moment where the world will judge us as ungreat. It's usually at the climax of when the world has judged you a failure. Ungreat. Uncool that you step into, the, the, for the first time, Jesus goes, she's great. He's great. There's one more scripture I want to share. Because I believe that there are several people in this room who feel called and even have a drive to 
to, to great things. I think there's people here that, that know you have a capacity for, for leadership and, and business. Some of you all want to be uh, in, in, in public service and in the government, being governors. Some of you guys want to have your own businesses and be CEOs and, and, and managers. Some of you all want to be moms and dads, which is leadership in, in your household. And, and, you know, some of you all are called, and I believe you feel it. I believe all of us are called, but I believe some of us really want it. And I want to tell you that it is okay. I do not want you to feel like it is wrong to have a hunger for upward mobility and greater influence in your life. I just want to make sure that you embrace the counterculture of Christ and that you understand that on the way to greatness is a, a deep valley that is for servants only. There's actually a sign that says servants only. And if you're not a servant, you won't go through it. You won't. Like, no one will have to stop you. Like, you won't go. You'll be like, but those that go through it and feel all that comes with it, including some embarrassment, including some loneliness, including some questions unanswered, even a feeling of injustice, because while you're in the valley, you still get to see those who haven't made the sacrifices you make, they just seem to be soaring. Their Instagram account is beautiful. They look awesome. The smiles on their faces, their kids are gorgeous. It's like, oh my God. Oh my God. You gotta get off that. Cause like you're you know, scrubbing a toilet figuratively and they're on, you know, on some island full of the devil, and just as happy as can be, and you're just like, this feels unfair. But guys, hold on, because Jesus said, it will not be this way with you. He told you up front. Let's not be surprised. He said it will be contrary to the way of the Gentiles. The ladder of success that you guys see in the world, Jesus says it will not be the case with you. It will be a very different trajectory. And if you don't know that, if you don't stomach that, if you don't digest that, you will be so discouraged. And it will become too hard and you will tap out of this thing quicker than your head can turn. But the Lord says, if you continue with me in the trials of my way, you will find yourself being a royal priesthood. You will be the city on the hill that can't be hidden. You will be the salt of the earth. You will bear fruit that will you will lay hands on the sick and see them healed. You will speak with authority and see demons come out of people. You will have a level of authority and a level of glory and a level of my love and my spirit that you could have never gotten any other way. So let's embrace the counterculture of Christ. Let's stop fighting 
and let's be servants. Come what may. And the Lord will prove to be the faithful promise keeper that he is. I'm going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the path that you have uh, pioneered for us, Lord. Philippians 2 says that you did not see equality with God something to be grasped, but you lowered yourself to human form, and then you lowered yourself even more to the point of death. And then you lowered yourself even more by death on the cross, which was the lowest form of death that a person could experience in your, in your community, in your society. Lord, you, you, you felt the depths of the valley of being a servant. Lord, but the next verse says, therefore... God the Father exalted you higher than any other name and gave you all the authority in heaven and earth and he made it to where every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that you are Lord Jesus. And Lord, I believe today you are letting us know that that path was a trailblazing for us to follow. You were calling for all of your people to follow the same path to greatness. There's a valley. There's a lowly place for servants only. There's a selfless life. There's a life of self-denial. Lord, but let us look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, just like you were exalted because of your service, Lord, you were promising the same for us, that if we make ourselves a servant, We will be with you in the end. High and lifted up. Reigning with you. Being with you, seated with you. God, I pray over every person who's here. Lord, I pray, Lord, you show them how this message applies to their lives. Some people might be asking, what does this have to do with me? Holy Spirit, show them how you're speaking to them about their lives. Lord, I pray that you would heal every heart from the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, the fear of being overlooked. The fear of being outdone. 
God, I pray comfort for those who have been taught that they have to provide for themselves. They have to make their lives. They have to find their greatness. They have to climb the ladder and claw and do whatever is necessary, God. Some of us have, have been raised to think that way. That there's not enough room for all of us and the only way for us to get ahead is for us to climb over someone else and just all of this fear. I just sense there's been so much fear. Lord, so I pray for your love to cast out all fear, for them to understand that in Christ you make us heirs. We go from having to strive to having an inheritance, something that was done for us. God, help us to understand that in Christ we have become sons and daughters. We are heirs to your promises, God. Lord, you are calling us to cease from our straining and to rest from our labor. Everyone here who is weary and heavy laden, the Lord is telling you, today is the day that you can cast all of your burdens and all of your cares on God. He will take your burdens and you can rest as his son, as his daughter. And you will be free from the pride of life, from the competitive lust. And you will be free and secure to serve and to endure all that comes with the path of Christ. And when you least expect it, he will fulfill incredible promises. And all you'll be able to say is, thank you, God. All you'll be able to say is, God's grace is amazing. He is true, and he wants to show his truth to each and every person here. Let the Holy Spirit fill you, touch your heart, fill your mind. Some of you guys are in the test, and you're tempted to revert to common culture. But today... Let's all choose the counterculture of Christ. Let's go his way. Let's go all the way. Let's do it together. I'm going to ask us all to stand. Some of you all have yet to make the choice to, to leave the, the, the way of the common culture and to embark on this counterculture this way of Jesus, this way of self-denial and servitude. And as you heard, 
Uh, there's challenges that come with this life. Jesus even said it's, it can be more difficult than the other way. But for what it counts, it is beyond worth every challenge. And not only will it enhance your life, but it'll enhance the lives of people you haven't even met yet. Family and friends, that's easy. But the Lord will let your life impact people that are six, seven, ten degrees away from you. That he will, he will allow your life to sprout like a tree. And that tree will cover more ground than you thought was humanly possible. But every seed has to be buried. And some of you all are like, man, I feel like I'm just under dirt. You probably are. But take joy and take comfort because if you allow yourself to stay buried long enough, in God's timing, something's going to sprout up. And roots are going to get deep, and you're going to find yourself becoming what the Word of God says, an oak tree, an oak tree of righteousness. So if you would love to have that, that, that destiny on your life, Jesus is the way to go. He will take you from start to finish. He will not leave you. He will not leave you hanging. He will follow through, and you will live to see the day. Of, of your life having an impact greater than anything you could have ever dreamed of. So Jesus can take us there if you want to go. Uh, we just confess with our mouth that he is Lord, believe in our heart. And once you pray this prayer, I believe something supernatural will happen. I believe it will start on the inside, almost like the seed analogy. You won't see it. You might not even feel it. But something's going to happen in the core of your heart. And if you allow it to grow, it'll start to change the way you think, the change, change your perspective on your life, on your job, on your family. It'll start changing the way that you make choices, the way that you speak. And that's when it starts getting fun and you really start to see the power of Jesus Christ work through your life. And I wish that on all of us. So if you want it, Let's pray this prayer together, and then we'll dismiss. Uh, say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Let's all say amen together. If you believe that your future is great because of Jesus, say thank you, God.
If you believe that you have a hope and a future greater than your wildest imagination, say thank you, God. Before any of it happens, just say thank you, God. Amen. Amen. I promise you, it's real. It's real. Jesus is not joking. This is true. If you said yes to Jesus, congratulations. We have a few ways you can connect with us. We have a prayer team that's going to come down front, and they're here to pray for whatever needs you have. If you are just now saying yes to Jesus, come on down and just tell us. And we just want to bless you before you leave. If you've been saved for years and you just need a prayer request or need us to pray for you, we're here for you. So yeah, awesome. Go ahead and get prayer. Hunter, you can pray. And uh, we're here for you. You can also text the word BELONG to 77411 and uh, we'll connect with you that way. We'll follow up with you, whoever texts us. Uh, we just want to connect. And then lastly, my favorite way to connect with us is our Next Steps class. We offer it right now after I dismiss. If you go up to the third floor, we'll meet you, tell you about the vision of our church. We won't keep you long, but we just want to connect with you. And I would love to see you guys up there. And I think that's it. If you want to give, thank you in advance. You can give online or our finance team is in the back. Uh, and that's it. I hope you have a good rest of the day. Maybe get a nap if you need it. Um, uh, I'm going to pray and we'll dismiss. Uh, Father, thank you again for today. Lord, thank you for the counterculture of Christ. God, I pray, Lord, that we would all embrace it and choose it. Lord, and I pray that you will continue not only to bless us, but make us a blessing to other people. In the name of Jesus, amen. Have a great rest of your day. I love you.